Do you apply the concept of DERFT in your medical practice? Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Owen Dahl, a nationally recognized medical practice management consultant with over 24 years of experience in consulting and managing medical practices. He also wrote the book, Think Business, Medical Practice Quality, Efficiency, and Profits. Mr. Dahl, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Can you define drift? <laughs> That's a hard word. It's actually DIRFT, D-I-R-F-T, and it's a principle that if all medical practices used it, we could end up seeing at least one additional patient per day. Okay, which is a good thing. So it's a utopian vision. <laughs> all right, DIRFT is do it right the first time. It's not uh, drift, it's DERFT. Okay. So, so what we're talking about is, is that if the staff is trained, if the practice has systems in place where an employee does it right the first time, we will eliminate waste, we will eliminate rework, we will eliminate redundancy. In fact, W. Edwards Deming from Total Quality Management fame suggests that, in fact, statistically, we've been able to prove that 25% of the work effort that goes into an employee's daily job is wasted time. And that's where I would say that if we did it right the first time, if we eliminated waste, what you could do is see one additional patient. I mean, you could probably see more, but let's just take one. One additional patient in your practice every day, four days a week for 48 weeks out of the year, mm-hmm. and you're talking about an income that comes up to roughly $20,000. Right, per physician. Per physician. Right. And that's doing absolutely nothing more with your time as the provider than what you did before. All right, so let's dissect out do it right the first time. What kind of defects do you most commonly see when you start unearthing the scab? Oh, wow. Well, let's actually start at the beginning. Just start at the front desk. Yeah, start at the front desk at the very beginning. What you'll find is that if the receptionist does not fully grasp the idea of how important it is to get that insurance card, that insurance information, and to ask the patient, have you, in fact, changed your insurance? May I see your insurance card and verify what we have on file versus what there is there? Because what happens is we may not know that, the patient may have changed their insurance. You've seen the patient. You've provided all of the service. It goes to the billing system. We've got electronic filing. We've got all these wonderful systems in place. 14 or 17 days after the patient has been in, we get a notice from the insurance company that says the claim has been denied. The reason it's been denied was because that insurance is no longer valid. Well, if we'd have done it right the first time, all of the other systems that we so cautiously or so conscientiously developed would have worked and we would have gotten paid. Oh, and how do I get my front staff to buy into that, to see the effect downstream and to care? I mean, unless I basically tie their bonuses and their incentives to, or negatively incentivize them that if, let's say, they don't get a copay, that it affects their bonus. And we show them how many copays they did not collect that month. I think there's a couple of things that can be done. I agree with you in terms of a statistical way of saying, okay, you should have collected 120 copays and you only collected 100. You missed 20% right. roughly of the copays. Which is 400 bucks. Yeah. Or in the denial question of the insurance card, mm-hmm. you actually had 12 
insurance cards or in patients where we had denials because you didn't get the information correctly. So we've got two scenarios just right there at the front desk of either not collecting the copay, knowing what it was in the first place. The incentive to me is let's educate the employee about what kind of work downstream occurs so that, say, the receptionist gets to know the billing clerk pretty well and the billing clerk says, look what I'm doing. It's taking me one hour and 45 minutes every week to fix problems that are caused by you if you did it right the first time. Right. And, you know, you got to say it a little bit nicer than that. But the principle is to say, here's what actually happens and what you can do to help me be better. Then when you come up with the incentive and the package, like where you might have a an ownership piece or you might have some kind of bonus structure that says, if we collect X number of dollars, if our profit is this, you will get more. And here's how you can affect that. Because... If you take that hour and 45 minutes, let's round it to two hours, and let's say it's a $10 an hour employee, we've wasted 20 bucks. 20 bucks may not sound like a lot, but that 20 bucks times how many times it happened, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, begins to add up. That's part of the issue. Let me give you one other example. In about 1986, I became a fellow in the American College of Healthcare Executives, and I did a study in a physician practice on the wasted time that it was to find a report. You as a physician had ordered a diagnostic service to be done outside of the practice. I've come back now two weeks later as the patient, and the report isn't there. And the amount of time that was wasted in terms of looking at that. And so in my particular study, came up to about three-quarters of a full-time equivalent employee for a calendar year. Wow. And if you would have saved that, just think what would happen. But the interesting thing about that is I said I got my fellowship in 1986. Mm-hmm. Last year in 2007, still I was asked to do... Even with EMRs, it's probably still the same. Exactly the same. And what industry would allow 21 years to go by not having an issue fixed? It doesn't make any sense to me that we haven't taken time to focus on what can I do to be more efficient in managing my practice. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Owen Dahl, who has written the brilliant book, Think Business, Medical Practice Quality, Efficiency, and Profits. Oh, and you use another concept that was new to me in the book called Six Sigma, which I found fascinating. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, specifically how it pertains to the airline industry and then to a doctor's office? Well, (laughs) that's pretty interesting because if we're having a business person listen to us right now, Six Sigma is not a new concept. Right, but to doctors it is. To doctors it's a very new concept. And what the idea is is that we should be able to produce our widgets, see our numbers of patients and so on, to 99.99996% satisfaction. So our error rate is like 3.4 per million. It's a nice goal. Yeah, it's a great goal. But it sounds unachievable, but you're going to tell me it's not. (laughs) Well, okay, you mentioned airline industry. How many planes fly every day? How many takeoffs and landings are there per day? If we had 3.4 errors per landing or takeoff, we would have a significantly greater number of plane crashes than we do. And so what the airline industry has done in their basic premise of providing for safe travel, they've been very successful. On the other hand, how many times do you lose a bag? Right, but that's okay. Because I'm alive. 
you're alive and you got there safe. Right. So your basic measurement point is I got there safe. And what we would want to do in our practices is to provide that safe, quality environment. We don't want any errors, but the medication errors, those kinds of things that happen, I hate to say this, but I bet you that you've made a medication error that you're not aware of. That is very likely. And so having that being said, we can assume that it didn't harm the patient to any great extent, but it still was an error. And what have you done to monitor that? What have you done to try to fix that? That's the idea of Six Sigma. It's to actually develop a formal program to help you and your practice look at to use another phrase in terms of management parlance, uh, continuous quality improvement. Yeah. What have you done to try to do something? I hate to jump around, but there are so many great little tidbits in your book that I want to cover some more ideas. And in Chapter 4, which is about human resources, you talk about that money is not always a motivator. If you ask certain employees and different practices why they stick around, even though they hate the doctor they work for, they give you some pretty interesting answers. Can you tell us some of those? (laughs) Well, again, in management theory and so on, there's been a number of studies that indicate when you ask a manager or a supervisor how important money is for motivation, it's up there as one or two. When you ask employees, it's five or six. And the reason that it's five or six for employees is because they are there because they want to do a job. They want to be recognized. They want to get involved with patients, with other employees, and that sort of thing. So that the motivation that an employee has is far greater than, and the reason that they're employed by that doctor is far greater than just the money. Now, the interesting thing that I found in many of my studies, in fact, some practical experiences is some doctors have a reputation of being pretty tough to work with. Can I say that and get away with it without being shot at? It's well well known, (laughs) most of them. But those doctors that are difficult to work with, well, why does that employee stay there? How come there are three employees that have been there five or six years each? The interesting scenario is is that they have found a support structure amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. So they've got their belonging kind of scenario. A sense of of community. Their community has kept them there. So if one of the employees gets abused today, Mm -hmm. they get consoled by the fact that the other two employees can be there to listen. And the other two employees can understand, yep, you know, tomorrow might be my day. So you're saying to the doctors listening, it's okay to continue the cycle of violence and continue to abuse Uh, your employees? (laughs) No, (laughs) because what I'm saying is... How do you get that employee to be more efficient? (laughs) You don't do it that way. And if you really want to reward them, Peter Drucker, another comment that he made uh, some years ago was that an employee is a knowledge worker. Mm -hmm. And an employee comes to the practice with knowledge, be it experiential, be it educational. But there is a great deal of knowledge that they have. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that leads to the, the next question is when that knowledge worker leaves... One of the quotes you have in your book is that the cost of replacing lost talent is 70% to 200% of that employee's annual salary. Right. And I don't think anyone is aware of that statistic. That's seen an enormous number. Well, and it is an enormous number and, and because it's broad, but it's broad because of the type of profession versus, say, a file clerk type of scenario that you might have. But if you think about it and you're paying say $10,000 a year for an employee, which isn't a lot, and you end up having to replace that employee, you've wasted $7,000 at a minimum, or you've lost $7,000 of production. So what I like to suggest is develop a strategy where you hire 
slow, meaning you look for and find the right employee. So you don't hire in desperation? No, you don't hire in desperation. You don't mm-hmm. hire the first person that walks in that, you know, that breathes and says, I've had this experience. You look for the chemistry. You look for how they kind of fit in with the culture of your practice and that sort of thing. So you hire slow, but you fire fast because once in a while you do make a mistake. Right. And it's important to say, you know, I recognize that I made a mistake, and because I made that mistake, it's time to cut my losses. There's the cost of turnover, but some of that cost of turnover can be justified because the next employee that I bring in will be better. Owen Dahl, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Well, you're welcome. I've enjoyed it, and hopefully this helps us because the whole goal of the business model that we talk about is to take care of our patients. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine. And if you'd like to comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com. If you register there with the promo code RADIO, we'll give you six months free of streaming ReachMD. You can listen to any time at home or at work. And thank you for listening.